podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm Menas. I'm joined by Paul Dennett. We're recording this live straight after the Sixers have knocked out the Adelaide Strikers. The Sixers march on to the final against the Scorchers in the Big Bash. Paul what a match we have seen unfold. Yeah, thoroughly entertaining game. And um, what about Hayden Kerr? Um, promoted to, to opener and played a sublime innings that really, um, you know, the fact that he's taken loads of wickets in this competition as well, it's a real uh, an emergence of a potential future star. Absolutely. 98 not out. He shepherded the Sixers over the line while his teammates have been dropping like flies before the game. And then during the game, uh, Jordan Silk injured himself. Stephen O'Keefe injured himself. So the, the Sixers are the walking wounded. And I was listening to the Grandstand Cricket Podcast with Ed Cowan this week. And he said that Hayden Kerr opens the batting for Sydney Uni and the Sixers probably need to push him up the order and... Well, they did it, and he played one of the most stunning knocks in BBL history. Paul, I'm calling that the greatest win in Big Bash history. I mean, the Sixers had no right to win that game. The Strikers win six in a row, and wow, what a performance. Yeah, it's very, very big. I'm not sure it's the greatest win in, in Big Bash history, but it's certainly up there. And the other thing, Hayden Kerr is the only one of the 11 not to pull a hamstring during the game, which is quite impressive as well. <laughs> Apparently, it's just Hayden Kerr playing in the final. Yeah. Hayden Kerr and Steve War are going to open the batting. Yeah, Hayden <laughs> Hayden Kerr and Jake Carter uh, <laughs> filling all eleven positions. Um, so, so look, Paul and I probably chat about a few bits of news, but so the Sixers now play the Scorchers in the final. The, the Strikers batted first today. They made one hundred and sixty-seven. They were sent in by the Sixers. They lost a few early wickets. Carey was out for one, short out for six, Travis Head out for three, some good bowling by O'Keefe and Abbott, but then Cobain and Wells and then Renshaw uh, combined to get the strikers to 167. So, you know, that was a pretty good performance with the Sixers. Their bowling is less affected by COVID and injuries. It's one of my pet hates, actually, what happened in this game, that after four overs, Sydney Sixers were were well on top and they then brought the spinners on and Ponting in commentary who, who you know, I, I rate very highly, but he said, oh, this is what, you know, this is what sides tend to do now that bring the spinners on, put all the field back and really try to rush through a few overs. But putting the field back at that point was a mistake. There's no two ways about it that, um, that if they'd kept the field up, then the pressure that the strikers would have been under, it may well have led to a couple of more wickets. Instead, they were able to consolidate, take some plenty of easy singles and uh, work their way back into the game. I've seen it time and time again over the years in 50-over in cricket and 20-over cricket. You need to keep the field up. And if they hit a, you know, if they hit a couple of audacious fours, you can always put it back. It's not the end of the world. But uh, I, I think it was poor tactics, poor tactics on behalf of the Sixers. 
and it let the strikers back into the game. Yeah, you sent me a message during the game, and I've been sort of thinking about it. And look, I think you're on to something. It's interesting that every team seems to drop the field back as soon as they can. But you're right. I mean, there is something to let's see if these guys can hit through or over the field. Mm. And and you're right, if, they, if they're good enough to do it a couple of times, then you can drop the field back. So I actually do see where you're coming from. Especially given it was O'Keefe that was bowling the over. I and mean, he's one of the finest um, T20 bowlers going around. His performance this year has been exceptional. His economy rate is, is right up there with amongst the best in the in the tournament. So, um, yeah, it was a. I understand the human nature feel of it. You think, all right, put everyone back. And if they want to get a few singles, we'll probably get one or two dot balls. We'll get out of this with four or five off the over. That's a win. And it normally is. But when you've got a side three for not very many, you're on the verge of blowing them out of the game. And so um, Enriquez, like almost every captain before him, didn't take that opportunity. But I bet you Ian Chappell would have, or Shane Warne, some of those more aggressive captains probably would have. Mm. So, yeah, it was a good um, bowling performance by the Sixers, but a good finish by the Strikers. And then chasing 168, I mean, Avendano opened the batting with Hayden Kerr. Jake Carter was at three. Enriquez, four. Christian, five. None of them really did much until Sean Abbott came out to join Hayden Kerr and then it became a more than just a one-man show. Sean Abbott smashed 41 off 20. I mean, that was scintillating batting and it, it's just what the team needed, not just for the run rate, but I felt Kerr, you know, needed someone to just take the pressure off him from a few overs. Oh, Abbott played sub- superbly and um, it was funny, Kerr, Played one of the, the best innings in the history of the Big Bash. Uh, in the history of the Big Bash, his first two balls were pretty ordinary. He um, jumped down the track to the first one off uh, John O'Wells, missed it, and should have been stumped, but wasn't. And then next ball got a leading edge that somehow kind of um, found its way to safety, and they got two. So it was a pretty nervous start. But from then, he started to strike the ball with great authority, and you could tell in commentary how impressed Ricky Ponting was with the the, the just the crispness of the way that he was striking the ball. It was. Um, it was just, you know, really enjoyable to watch. Um, I know we normally do the questions at the end, but just um, because Mike Viney's put up one that makes sense at the moment. Paul, does the four-over power play exacerbate the safety-first bowling strategy? Well, I think it kind of does because the they've got the choice to actually put the fielders back. If it had been a six-over power play, then they would have had to keep the fielders um, up in the circle in those two. And so it's, it's also noteworthy that when they eventually did have to... Um, bring the field in later on in the innings, that's when the next wicket fell. Uh, that the, They kind of, they, they, that, that's what often happens when the surge occurs, that sides do um, sort of squeeze. And, you know, an aside that I've said this before, I'm happy with the surge now. I've kind of got used to it, but I wish they'd go back to the full six over power play and a surge and give us eight overs of power play. I think that'd be more entertaining. Yeah, agree. We'd see higher totals, that's for sure. And people love runs. Yeah, I forgot about that Kerry miss chance, actually, off the first ball of the innings. Hayden Kerr missing that ball off Wells. So a bit of a stinker for Kerry. Doesn't uh, do much with the bat. And then, you know, he takes that stumping. I mean, Kerr, 98, not out of 58. Certainly the decisive knock. So, yeah, Kerry probably having a few issues with the gloves. We saw it in the, the test team and so sort of carried on to the big bash. Um it got tight towards the end. Uh, what did um, Sixers needed 13 off the last over and uh, they got there off the last ball, hitting a two that was misfield and went to four. So just just such a brave performance, Paul. I mean, you know, this this 
Sixers club. They could have just thrown the towel in and and you know sulked, but they, they they're somehow in the final and you know a chance at three titles or three three titles. I'd love to see a graph of winvis in that final over. It would have been going berserk because I think as the over began, it was pretty evenly poised. I reckon probably about fifty fifty. Um, and then there was the um, the wicket, and then Dwarshus came out, and that was one of the things that Sydney probably got wrong. That Dwarshus, who played so magnificently the other night, coming out in the final over, um, it would have been nice to see him promoted up the order. Mm. I think um, instead of some of those others. Uh, although probably I might have said that about Kerr as well. So they certainly got it right with Kerr. He got run out um, uh, without facing a ball. And what was it then? They needed, a, was it 11 off four or something like that? And um, it felt that the sixes were gone, really. Um, and Kerr got them over the line. Um, and that massive six over mid-wicket. Well, it was the, the one that was um, almost caught on the boundary um, by, by John O'Wells, wasn't it? That he um, mm. leapt through the air and almost managed to flick it back in. So, yeah, it was a thoroughly entertaining game. Um, you know, we'll talk about the the Big Bash and how it's gone as a tournament, but um, I know that my friends weren't watching. They were all watching the tennis, but um, I was um, thoroughly enjoying it, and I, it'd be interesting to see what the ultimate TV ratings were because it deserved a good crowd. So I think um, we've probably got the two best um... – oh, there was only – by the way, there's only 11,000 – not even 11,000 people in the ground – tonight for that game, which is a, a disappointing crowd. Obviously, you take COVID factors into it. I think if Steve Smith had been playing, you could probably add four or 5,000 onto that. So they probably missed out there. But, I mean, 10,000, I mean, that's, a you know, not a great crowd. I, I, I give them a I, – I don't care. I, I, I think that I, I give them – I excuse them. What I'm trying to say mm. is um, let's wait till next year when hopefully um, the world is normal, although it wouldn't wouldn't put my house on it, but I just think that there are so many people who are just thinking, I don't want to be on public transport at the moment. I don't want to be in a ground mm. where I've got to go to the toilet and there's going to be crowds inside. And especially given the feeling that maybe in a couple of weeks or in a couple of months, things will subside, but with hospitals overflowing, I just think there are plenty of people who are just totally not considering going. And I think that if the, if the world was normal, that they would have got um, 30,000 there tonight. Mm, yeah, it's a good point. Um, but, yeah, so the Scorchers start massive favourites for the final. I mean, that the Sixers, definitely the second best side in the competition behind the Scorchers, but the Scorchers, with their only main injury concern being Mitch Marsh at this stage, I mean, you never know, like we could wake up tomorrow and half the Scorchers side is ruled out because they've all got COVID. Um, but obviously, let's hope that doesn't happen. But yeah. uh, but just as it stands at the moment while we record this, you'd have to say, as the current lineups stand, the, the Scorchers go in as massive favourites. I agree they go in as favourites, but I, I don't think anyone goes in as massive favourites in, in the Big Bash. I think the competition is still fairly tight, and I think that the Sixers are a pretty good side. So I think that the, the Scorchers go in as favourites, but I think it's more of a a 60-40 sort of favouritism rather than an 80-20 favouritism. Yeah, it's just, um, you know, of the – so of the 11 players that played in the last game um, against the Sixers for the Scorchers, so of the Scorchers 11, nine of them are international – players with international experience. So you've got, you know, Inglis, Patterson, Mitch Marsh, Munro, Turner – Agar, Richardson, Ty, Berendorf, the nine players going against the Sixers, which essentially might be, 
you know, six or seven players that are, you know, making the transition from grade cricket now into the big time. So, I, yeah, you're right. But I think this, there's a fairly big gap on paper between these two sides. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. And it's going to be interesting to see who from the Sixers is fit. Like, I mean, O'Keefe, you'd think, hopefully will be fit. He went off with a bit, a bit of a calf complaint, but that might have been um, just a precautionary measure. I think he's quite key. Um, but I think any side with O'Keefe and Lyon in it, um, it, it is going to be pretty going to be pretty effective. And, um, yeah, um, whoever wins, they will take the lead is because they've each got three titles and it'll be the um, the winner will go to four as the most in, in BBL history. So at this stage, it's a very fitting final, as it was last year, between the two most successful franchises in the tournament's history. Yeah. Now, I, I don't know if I want to talk about the whole Steve Smith situation, Paul, because, you know, it's dri- driven me mad. I've even been looking through the law books about how we could bring back the death penalty to, you know, apply that to people that have let this happen. So I think I've kind of lost my mind uh, about the whole thing and lost perspective. But <clears throat> just I find the whole situation wholly unsatisfactory that uh, Steve Smith was not playing. You can go through all the details about it but in the end you know with the IPL let Virat Kohli sit at home while it's going on no this is a huge mistake this is a a massive fluff by the administrators and you know I think heads have to roll and uh, this can't ever be allowed to happen again I agree I just think it's madness that (laughs) the thing that annoys me a little bit is that people outside of Sydney are making the point oh it's always the people it's the people from Sydney who are complaining and I would guarantee you that if this was, uh, you know, if Steve Smith was a, a, a traditionally a, a Perth Scorchers player and this was happening, I would be just as vociferous in saying he should be allowed to play. I like the Sydney Sixers to win, uh, but it doesn't bother me that much either way. What I like far more is for the Big Bash to succeed. I want it to be a really successful tournament as it was four or five years ago and as I think it will be again to bring in new fans, to be a wonderful adjunct to the summer. And to have Steve Smith available and not playing, regardless of which team he's playing for, uh, is massively disappointing. And I understand the, the, the laws and all those sorts of things, but I think that when you pull back and look at it from the big picture, as you said, it wouldn't happen in the, in the IPL. It shouldn't have happened here. They should have just said, we're not going to send it to the five um, other states to make decisions. We're going to just unilaterally say it's in the best interest of the Big Bash that he plays. Um, away you go. Yeah. As I said, I'm I'm ropeable about it. I mean, that, it went to a, a vote of the six state CEOs. One voted in favour of it, probably the New South Wales CEO, Lee Jamon, and then five voted against it. So, I mean, they obviously don't have the best interests of the game at heart, more their own self-interest. So, look, I... Yeah, I think we should move on because I think we could talk about Broward because it's so frustrating. But in the end, what annoys me is, uh, you know, this, there would have been three big games that could have been headlined by Steve Smith. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to just have to cool my jets a bit on the big batch for a while because I'm just, I feel like it's just, ripped my heart out that the administrators can let this happen. You know, if you're following closely over the last three years, this tournament every year is desperate for star power and then they just fluff this. I mean, Alistair Dobson, the head of Big Bash, he should have just not allowed this to happen. Nick Hockley, again, should have not allowed this to happen. Just a disaster. Absolutely. And imagine if you could go back to the TV negotiations back 
three years ago when they, you know, they with much man, much fanfare signed that deal for what was it, one point one billion over six years. And if mm. you sort of said, um, oh, by the way, guys, what would happen in a situation like this? We would, as the TV networks who are shelling out um, this enormous amount of money, we, we'd like to make sure that you're going to get the best players playing. They would have fallen over backwards to say yes, 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 yes. Instead, next time the TV rights are up for negotiation, um, this is the sort of thing that networks would think about and think, well, maybe we won't pay so much. And then the states who all said no, it'll filter down to them. They'll get less for it. It's you know, it's um, it's harming cricket in the long term, and I, I just think that's really disappointing. Yeah, and look, the players are not happy about it. They've all been very vocal. So you know, they've given the players something to put in their back pocket of where the administrators really messed one up um and look let's move on um is there anything you want to add to the big bash i wouldn't mind quickly touching on the um australian squad that was announced for the sri lankan t20 series uh no happily um going on to that what what did you think about the fact that mitch marsh is being arrested is that a little bit strange so I think the reasoning is Mitch Marsh and David Warner are just being given some time off ahead of the Pakistan tour. So that's Fair obviously enough. a bubble fatigue issue. That I'm surprised Mitch Marsh is a, a lock for the Pakistan tour, but I guess, you know, he was part of the Ashes tour and he backed up Cameron Green. So, I mean, Aaron Finch has retained his spot as captain, surprisingly. Um, all the usual faces are there. Travis Head comes in. Moses Enriquez comes in. Ben McDermott comes in after being named Big Bash Player of the Tournament. Uh, all the other players remain from the T20 World Cup. So no real surprises. Um, Jai Richardson comes in. He wasn't part of the T20 World Cup squad. And actually, conversely, Jai Richardson's not going to Pakistan. He's taken himself out of the running. For, well, he the, he and the selectors and the, the people that manage him have said he's not going to Pakistan. He's going to stay here where they can manage him better. So, look, I think that's a good squad against Sri Lanka. Now, I did note um, you said... Um, were you being sarcastic or just passive aggressive when you mentioned that Aaron Finch has been retained and you added the word surprisingly? Well, I'm just, you know, he's been carrying injuries throughout the big bash. He hasn't looked particularly fit or in form. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised they picked him, but it, it's, it's just, I'm just not sure how long it can go on for um, until he, you know, shows some of the glimpses of the, the Aaron Finch we used to see a few years ago. I mean, I, I think you're being harsh. I, I think that um, he averaged, I'm looking at it now, he averaged 39 at a strike rate of 130 and was comfortably, not that you had to beat much, the Renegades' best scorer. He scored 386 runs. Their next highest was 231. Um, uh, not too bad. It's pretty good. Yeah, I know. He just didn't. He just didn't look to me like a, it doesn't look to me like an international player anymore. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, well, I mean, on that basis, then, you know, I don't know what the um, the players around him have done, but you're basically saying none of them would look like international players. That um, that that seems um, <laughs> just seems far too harsh to me. Anyway, so but I mean, good to have have Travis Head get a go again. Moses Enriquez. Um, I, I can't imagine Sri Lanka causing us too many headaches at home. No, I don't think so. Although um, they they did have some signs of that they were uh, doing better than expected at the the T Twenty World Cup. They went in there with very very low expectations. I mean, they weren't even in the main group, but um, they they showed a bit. Um, so 
hopefully they can show a bit. But yeah, I mean, on Australian um, in Australian conditions, they're, they're going to find it difficult. But yeah, you never know. You never know. Anyone from the Australian squad you're particularly um, keen to see do well? I'd like to see Aaron Finch do well. <laughs> Same. I mean, I like the guy. I mean, I hope he comes out and scores 300s um, and, and just trying to scampers pull up. between the wickets. He's quick between the wickets. Um, yeah, I mean, looking at the uh, the numbers here, he's got about the, the 12th or so highest average in the whole Big Bash. Um, so you basically, I mean, Moses Enrique's averaged 39 um, with a strike rate of 134. Very, very similar numbers to him. Are you saying that um, that he doesn't look an international player? Well, uh, I mean, I, I think probably Enrique's is... Yeah, yeah. I mean, no. I, on those figures, I still think Enriquez is an international player, and Finch, I think, is not as the same as he was a few years ago. Yeah, I don't think he's quite as good as he was a few years ago, but I think that those figures aren't too bad. Anyway, so I'd, um, I think that at this stage, he would need to have a shocking run of form to not be the captain in the World Cup. So I'm, um, um, I think we're, we're that's he'll, he'll be the captain. I'd say we're stuck with him. Um, no, no, I mean, you know. He's a good leader, but I'm just not sure he's in our best um, six T20 players anymore. Batters. Um, so I watched the movie documentary Shane last night, Paul. Yeah, um, I saw your tweets. So um, it was given a big screen to build. It's a documentary about Shane Warne, uh, and now it's on Amazon Prime. And so it was about 90 minutes. And one thing that it brought back to me was the sheer joy of living through Warren's career. I mean, I was lucky enough to beat the SCG for his test debut. Uh, he took his 300th wicket at the SCG. Uh, you know, just watching his career on television and up close was um, just a joy. And the, the documentary certainly brought that back. Yeah. I, I, I haven't seen it yet. And I could imagine how it would do that. And, I think that what you're next going to say is something that I'm going to emphatically agree with, and that is that it needs to also have the tough questions asked. And I think that sometimes Warren is he's surprisingly candid about quite a lot of things, and that then can possibly give the veneer of that it's all totally candid and everything's on the table. But there are certain topics that if you were going to be interviewing Shane Warren, that you'd be very nervous in raising. And for example, the uh, the situation surrounding his positive drugs test in the 2003 World Cup, mm. and the, the comments that, that were, were made, um, you know, the, the judgments that were made around that, uh, it would take a bold interviewer or a bold documentary maker to really raise them and ask the questions that are sort of um, uncomfortable. And I think he'd probably walk out. Yeah, so it was sort of, uh, you know, Warnie was in on this. So, look, they had access to his ex-wife, his children, um, you know, lots of, you know, cricketers. Uh, bizarrely, there was Ed Sheeran and um, Chris Martin talking about his career. I mean, I, I didn't know who Ed Sheeran was for the first time. He came up with like, who's this guy with orange hair um, <laughs> talking about cricket. So it was bizarre. And they they do sort of touch on a few of the issues, but it's very sanitised. I wouldn't say there's any real probing. So you're not going to get it, – it's certainly not a, a multidimensional look at his career. It's a very sort of shallow look at it. And, and you know, a couple of things annoyed me. So they're talking about when Warren 
uh, you know, was caught cheating on his ex-wife in 2005 and uh, his daughter is, you know, really emotional, crying, saying, you know, what it was like to see her, her dad like that. And then they cut in something which clearly recorded about something else completely out of context of all the kids saying, oh, he was always there for us, which is nothing to do with that situation at all. So that kind of irked me because you could tell then, okay, how, what else are they sort of shuffling around? But I think if you just want to sort of relive bits of his career and, and not look too deeply, uh, it's not too bad. So I gave it a 6.5 out of 10 because um, it was very enjoyable. But as I said, you know, it's not multi-dimensional, and I don't mind it if that's all it purports to do. But um, sometimes, if they just sort of said, "Look, um, here's the career of a player. It wasn't perfect, but we're basically going to just bring back the joy of that player's career," then and we're not heavy hitting or anything else, like that, that's fine. But if it's going to, if it's kind of marketing itself as like this is the no hold barred definitive, then they've got to go through the unpleasant stuff. Not so much about marital affairs. I couldn't care less about that. I'm talking more about. Um, the stuff that directly related to cricket. Mm. Yeah, and they get into the bookmaking stuff. So, look, if viewers, listeners, Paul, go and watch it. I'd be interested in your feedback. One thing that I guess, you know, I think some people, you know, younger than us maybe who didn't live through his career and just have seen the highlights and, um, you know, hear him on the TV now and saying crazy things is, you know, it, it should never be forgotten, A, how great he was on the field, and the fact that, you know, when he used to come on to bowl, effectively, the nation used to stop. I mean, you know, worn bowling was an event and uh, you just, you don't have that now. I mean, it, it was truly spectacular and, uh, yeah, I, yeah, that should never be forgotten. I agree. And I also think that the the level of supposed craziness that people ascribe to him now is vastly overdone. But I still think that, you know, four out of five topics he's makes good sense and he's a very good commentator it's just that the one out of five that he kind of goes a bit um left field it's it's in a strange way like he's vendetta against steve war and john buchanan and a, a few of these things like that you just think you should just let those go and um you'd be far better for it and occasionally when he goes a little bit silly but on the whole at his best i think he's one of the best commentators mm. All right, so I've got my good day, bad day from Cricket Daily for you, Paul. So yep. um, bad day, the, the the David Lloyd Bumble impression by Harry Conway. I've had enough <laughs> of that. The networks have got to stop trotting it out. Conway's been doing this Lloyd impression for years now. Conway needs to get some new material. So Harry Conway, you need to get to the comedy writing room. You've been knocked out of the big bash now, so you got plenty of time. You need to find some new material because I can't hear that again. So that's Don't my bad. Day. You're hearing it again for the nth time. The vast majority of people would have been hearing it for the first time. Your knowledge of, I would put it to you that your knowledge of Harry Conway is a bit more detailed than the average cricket fan. Um, you he's, know. he's done it on this podcast. Two years ago, he did it. Well, yes. I mean, I, and this podcast listenership is vast, but there are, there are presumably some people who haven't heard that podcast. Yeah. Well, that's annoying. Um, and uh, good day. So moving on to women's cricket, Grace Harris, who has been included in the Australian Women's World Cup squad for the 50-over World Cup that's taking place in New Zealand next month. Grace Harris, who I just think brings a new dimension to the team because she's such a powerful, aggressive strike player. I think she moulds really nicely with some of the more classical players in that top order. So, yeah, good day, Grace Harris. She's She's been on this podcast. She's an absolute 
a corker of a person. So great to see her being rewarded for fine performances over a number of years. Good call. Good call. Um, now, I didn't realise we were still doing Good Day, Bad Day because that might then entail me doing a start of the day, but I don't have one. Uh, so I might no. the, um, the start no, of the day. Just... I'll let it go through to the keeper from now on. <laughs> <laughs> I just sort of had that. Uh, I just wanted to criticise the Bumble thing, so I thought, okay, I found something bad. I've got to find something good. Um, <laughs> I told you, bad, Good Day, Bad Day is only an excuse to do Bad Day. Um, I get that, yep. And I, so, I uh, that. Good. So the, the Women's Ashes continues. Um, so if you're listening to this, probably the test is underway. Uh, most people are listening on the podcast feed. But Australia leading the Women's Ashes series four points to two. Only one T20 game getting a result. Um, the big news there, at least Perry not picked for the T20 side, um, which was um, yeah quite a shock. Well, they sort of flagged it in the days leading up to it. And I think it's the right call. Uh, she'll obviously still figure in the longer forms of the game. But as far as the T20 side is, if I'm picking my best Australian 11 at the moment, she doesn't figure in it. And it will be interesting to see if this does cause a change in approach. And if she just says, okay, well, bugger you guys, you want me to be more aggressive, I'll do it. And it might actually, um, she might play all the better for it. Yeah, we hope so. She certainly um, struggled in the big, the WBBL with, with the bat at times. So yeah, look, the test match is probably underway, but, um, Love the test match. Four points on offer in the test match. So one of the criticisms is um, that because four points are on offer that most teams play for a draw um, because they don't want to, you know, concede the four points. So uh, maybe they need to look at tweaking that um, down the track. Well, yeah, uh, and that and also if history is to go by, I am very fearful that the the Monica Oval pitch will be – um, not conducive to attractive cricket, that they seem to trot out flat, low pitches every time there's a, a women's test match. So if they can have a nice, bouncy, decent pitch, then it'll be a fantastic spectacle. If they don't, it'll be once again a real disappointment and a, a blow for women's test cricket. So, yeah, lots of great action to look forward to. The Big Bash final, the conclusion to the women's ashes. So this test match and then three ODIs. Um so a lot happening on that front. I guess um, the fact that the Western Australia are now keeping their border closed, there is some uncertainty about what's going to happen to the Australian domestic schedule, whether the Sheffield Shield will continue, uh, whether WA will actually pull out of the tournament. Um, so, yeah, I'll be interested just to see what happens over the next week or two around that. Yeah. Um, I suppose they they could just be travelling as they have done for the – uh, for the big bash, but there, there probably comes a time when you might just think, do you want to live um, sort of that sort of um, homeless life for, for far too long? Yeah, exactly. All right, just before we go, some comments from the viewers. Jeremy Henderson, interesting to note that the final will be the Scorchers' sixth game at Docklands, but that the Sixers' only game there was their loss to the Scorchers last week. So certainly some advantage to the Scorchers, but that's sort of, I guess, effectively what... Home, home ground advantage is. Yeah, I'm sure they'd still rather um, opt a stadium, but, um, yeah, at least it's some sort of home advantage. SS98 put this question in four times. So hey, guys, will Ben McDermott get a buyer at the IPL auction? Can he play spin? Well, it's an interesting one. Um, uh, th- there is talk that batters like Ben McDermott aren't traditionally the overseas players that teams are looking for. There's a lot of talented batters sort of 
flying around in Indian cricket, but that the, the the franchises look at you know really quick bowlers, maybe spinners, uh, the real big stars, but not often batters. But look, maybe they'll look um, to pick him up. Um, I think he can play spin. I don't know if he'll be able to handle the the big dance of the IPL, but you know maybe the series against Sri Lanka will give us an indication. I think that's the right answer. Yeah, that they'll be very eager to see what he does at the international level. Um, I think that he's a chance of being picked up. I don't think he'd go for enormous money, but um, you know, all you need is a bidding war and um, anything can happen, I suppose. Yeah, and I guess it's just hard to judge. Uh, yeah, like I think there'll be a big step up, say, from the quality of attacks he's been facing in this big bash to what he'd face in the IPL. I think there'd be like a huge sort of difference there. Yep. All righty. Well, Ray, absolutely love the game. Can't wait to see the Aussies get picked in the IPL mega auction. Thanks everybody for watching and listening. Paul, anything before we go? No, um, really enjoyed tonight's game and hopefully the final lives up to its, um, its billing as well. That's right. All right, everyone. Um, Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.